and welcome to episode 20 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Today I'm talking with Amanda, who is from Austin in Texas. Amanda is a coach. She's a coach for people that are looking at changing their relationship with alcohol or stopping alcohol completely. Amanda works with people not from a recovery perspective, more from a grey area drinking perspective. So most people wouldn't class themselves as an alcoholic, but are sober curious and want to stop drinking just to be the best version of themselves and for their health and well-being. In this episode, we talk through Amanda's journey, the types of people that might um, go and see and have coaching from Amanda, and the benefits of stopping drinking and some of the struggles people have. It's worth noting that when we recorded this episode, we are in the second week of lockdown globally um, due to the coronavirus. And we are all struggling with a lot of anxiety and stress at the moment, and lots of people are turning to alcohol. Amanda puts forward some really good perspectives on why alcohol is probably the absolute last thing we need to be turning towards right now, and how we can cope with the struggle of stopping drinking, or what we can do to make steps towards stopping or reducing our drinking. I really believe that the impact of alcohol on our mental health and physical health is hugely underestimated, and that due to culture, accessibility, and our social lives, what we consider normal drinking actually could be harmful drinking. I really think that it doesn't, you know, it's probably good practice for us all to really reflect on our drinking from time to time and have drinking breaks or maybe consider life without alcohol because what's becoming the normal for most people and and in lots of social groups I think could be very dangerous and especially when you're looking at being the best version of yourself and having great mental health alcohol is something that can really hamper this. So I think everybody's going to find something very useful out of this episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, so do leave us a comment or send us an email, and I'll put all the links for how you can follow Amanda or get in touch in the show notes. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to Ask the Therapist, Amanda. You've got such an interesting journey from business coach to holistic life coach, helping women with grey area drinking. Can you tell us a bit about your career journey to date? Absolutely. You know, I remember being a really little girl and knowing very certainly that I was supposed to be a teacher. And of course, when you're a little kid, you have no frame of reference for what a teacher means outside of Mm -hmm. what you see in front of you with with your school teachers. So I always knew and had this sense that I was supposed to do that. But as I got a little further in going to school and I went to grad school and I taught there for a couple of years as a graduate assistant, I thought, you know, I don't think that's the kind of teaching I was actually supposed to do. But at that point, I hadn't really been exposed to what a coach was until my first job out of grad school where I worked for a coach consultancy. And I had the good fortune that I was able to try on a lot of hats there and did a lot of interacting with um, with small businesses and, and got to do some business coaching and training and teaching. And I really liked that, even though it wasn't my level of passion, let's say. Yeah. And so I left that and went to a generalized marketing job for a few years, but really truly felt this this deep calling to explore coaching again and on my own terms. So I started exploring different coaching courses. I took some certification courses and just really was educating myself on how to be a better coach. I really learned how to 
develop the skills to be a life coach versus a business coach, which have similar, similar strands, but aren't exactly the same thing. And as I did that, I really didn't know what type of life coach I would be mm. until I had this really urge to start an, a journey to be free from alcohol. And of course, we'll talk about that in a little more detail. But when I did that and realized that there was not a a real plethora of people out there talking about giving up alcohol just for health and wellness and personal development reasons, I realized that I would be doing the world a huge disservice if I didn't start including this as part of the main tenant of my coaching. Yeah, fantastic. And that's how I kind of came across you on Instagram. It was one of the first reasons I became interested in your work is because you talk about an area which myself and I guess many of my clients fall into, which is grey area drinking. And this was very new to me. Can you tell us more about what grey area drinking is and how grey area drinking differs from being an alcoholic? Yes, absolutely. Well, in short, gray area is honestly classified as quote unquote, you can't see me putting it in my quote hands, normal drinking in our society, you know, there, but we're taught that there are only a couple of different areas. We're taught that there are people who are to one far away in the depths of the pit who are classified as alcoholics. They need 12 steps. They need recovery. They need the sponsor. They, you know, they need rehab. That is, we're taught that that's one model. Then we're taught that another another model is normal drinking, and that's what most of us do, albeit it's very excessive. And that that might look like for some of us a glass or two or three or more of wine every night to unwind after a long day's day of work. It might look like no drinking throughout the week, but really going on a bender over the weekend to get in your social fix and reward yourself for a job well done. And then we're taught that there's the people who drink kind of every now and again and can kind of take it or leave it. But the interesting thing about what we're taught is that the people who do not drink are either doing it for some sort of moral reason, they're very religious, or they have a health concern that they can't get past, or they're addicted. And that's actually a really, a really tough, a really tough paradigm to get past because in reality, there's all of these people who are in the middle who could quit drinking if they wanted to improve their lives, but they shy away from it because they think that there'll be some sort of social outcast if Absolutely. they stop drinking. Not drinking is it's kind of like it's, there's a stigma to it, isn't it? It's the only drug that's not socially acceptable to not do. Absolutely, yeah. So it's the gray area is that area between between drinking to having quote unquote a problem and just drinking more than you would like to and knowing that you might like to make a change. Fantastic. Can you share a little bit about your journey from gray area drinking into finally stopping drinking and what that looked like for you? Oh, absolutely. That was a really tough journey for me, if I'm being honest. And for most people, because you really have to have a reckoning with yourself over changing your identity from who you thought that you were. And I kind of had started to have this self-inquiry in my late twenties. And I knew that I was drinking more than I wanted. I recognized that it was making me not feel good the next day. My hangovers had started to really be coupled with some kind of tremendous anxiety and just this feeling that I had done something wrong and not morally wrong. Like I didn't feel like I'd embarrassed myself or robbed a bank or done anything like that. I just felt something wasn't right. And I couldn't shake the feeling and it would stay with me for days, no matter how much or how little I, I managed to drink. 
And so because it's so socially reinforced that we have to drink in order to be normal, to have a social life, to have a dating life, to, you know, be able to do sometimes components of our jobs. If we have very social jobs, I, I kind of took a step back and said, okay, well maybe I can learn to moderate my drinking. That sounds like an excellent thing that I could be one of those take it or leave it types. And I'll give a shortcut right now that that did not work very well. Moderation was not very easy. And as most people find, it's very, very difficult. And so I I really didn't want to say I'm never going to drink again, but right around the time I turned 30, something just mustered up inside of me so loud that I couldn't ignore it. I had tried for so long and this voice inside of me said, you are just not meant for this. You are meant for something bigger and you cannot keep living the life that you're living if you want to achieve that big thing, whatever it is. Yeah. And so I looked and I looked, I took the quiz that asked if I was an alcoholic and the answer was no. I looked around for mentors who would tell me that just giving up drinking for, you know, for the health of it was an okay thing to do, that it wasn't social suicide and that it wouldn't make me an outcast, but I couldn't find that person. And so finally in January of 2017, I decided that I would try dry January, which I think is um, a concept many people are familiar with where you take three days off at the beginning of the year. And I did that, but somewhere midway through, I had the wherewithal to know that 30 days was not going to be enough to change my behavior. And I needed to extend that a little longer. So I extended my, my sobriety or my dry spell to, um, 90 days. So I did an additional 60 days. And at the end of that, I said, you know what, I'm just going to keep going in little increments and see how it feels. So I did six months and I did a year. And after that point, I really looked back and I thought this habit, this chemical has no place in my life. I can't Mm -hmm. see any way that it makes my life better. And of course, along the way I had done hundreds and hundreds of hours of personal development, personal inquiry, therapy, you name it, to try and work through the issues that had led me to believe I needed to drink. And by the time I got through that, of course, it's an ongoing process. Don't think it just took a year, but I just felt that I, it had no place in my life any longer. Was that, could you pinpoint a time when that happened? Was it kind of six months or 12 months? I know three months is kind of, often people say it takes that long, but did you and so I guess it's different for everybody, but for you, was that, did you, were you able to recognize that, that time where you switched or was it just a gradual thing? Sure. You know, it was gradual and it got better and better as time went on. It's kind of like if you, when you have a breakup, you can't really pinpoint the day that you are not heartbroken yeah. and that you're kind of over it and ready to move on, but it just happens miraculously. Mm-hmm. However, I would say that right around the 90 to hundred day mark is where yeah. it kind of sinks in that you're not struggling anymore. It just becomes second nature. And, you know, they say that that's how long it takes to form a habit or to yeah. change anything. However, I would say that 90 days is not enough necessarily to chemically make a change in your body. So 90 days is when it felt really easy for me. And then after that, it just progressively got easier and made more sense as my mindset started to shift even further. What what did you find was the hardest thing? And I guess, what do you find your client's report being the hardest thing about giving up drinking? Because you weren't somebody that drank every night, were you? Yet you kind of say that it, it was a struggle. It wasn't easy. Yes. And that's such an interesting question. I was recently looking back through the surveys that I do when I intake anyone into my program or a consultation. And one of the questions is, what is your biggest fear about giving up drinking? 
and 99.9% of the answers all had to revolve around social pressure. It's, I'm afraid that I won't be cool. My friends won't like me. How will I date? What will I do about girls weekends? What will I do about vacations or weddings? And the strange thing is that when you get down to it, it's really not the social aspect that you're scared of. You can look at that and think that, yes, the social aspect makes sense because it's tangible. I can, I can see it. I can feel it. I know it's, it's palpable, right? But the thing that you're really running from, if you think that the social pressure is what's holding you back is your own self-worth because it is your self-worth that tells you that you are not going to be accepted socially. If you don't drink, it is your self-worth that says that you don't have the power to stand up to someone who pushes back on you and tries to peer pressure you. It is your self-worth that tells you that you are not enough if you don't drink alcohol. And so it all comes down to this underlying issue that most people can't get at on their own, which is just a, a, a strong sense of self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Very useful. Thank you. And what, what have you found the best benefits for yourself and for the clients that you coach? Oh my goodness. I mean, first and foremost, you know, I just mentioned self-worth that your sense of self-worth improves so much in so many areas of your life. If you quit drinking the right way. Now, if you just quit drinking and check the box of, okay, I don't drink anymore you'll, of course, you're going to have some physical benefits that everyone talks about. So you'll have clearer skin, you'll sleep better, you will have more energy, you'll lose weight, you, um, you know, will just have better emotional resilience overall because you're not drinking. However, if you don't tackle those underlying issues that are always at the root of why you drank to excess in the first place, then you won't see much change at all. So if you do that self-inquiry, if you do that work, if you get brave and dig in there, then what you're going to see is an incredibly improved sense of emotional resilience. There will not be a scenario that can come at you that you cannot handle with ease and grace if you put your mind to it. Whereas as a drinker, I think most people can reflect and share that a lot of things will set you easily into a spiral and causing you to want to drink more. And that's just not there. You just have this strong rootedness and resilience. If you, if you do the work under quitting drinking. Yeah. So, so you're and, very much kind of, there's two aspects to this. There's a kind of practical stopping drinking, but then there's the inner work that around mindset and cultivating the best version of you alongside that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. If you, you can just quit drinking and, and, I would recommend anyone try that, but if you want the real benefits, then you do need to do the self-work. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And also, um, I, I work in therapy and I work with clients that are often kind of, they will report normal drinking. And my sense is that sometimes I don't, I'm not working on people's drinking as much as I should in therapy because it's classed as normal drinking, which is true, but normal drinking also, you know, you describe how much that varies from somebody that might drink once or twice a year to binge drinking at the weekend or a couple of nights. It's a huge continuum of what that looks like. And my sense is that a lot of drinking has a huge impact on people's mental health, even if it's just a couple of glasses of wine a few nights a week. What do you think, do you agree with that? And what are the main benefits have you found on people's mental health? Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. And the reason is twofold. One is a chemical or a physical, physiological reasoning is that 
alcohol is a toxin. It is literally ethanol mixed with sugar so that you can tolerate the taste. And it's a depressant and it is an, it is a fuel that increases anxiety. And so if you're experiencing any sort of negative thoughts about yourself, any sort of self-worth issues, any sort of depression, any sort of anxiety, and you think in any way that alcohol is helping you, then you are sorely mistaken because it is only adding fuel to the fire. It is chemically formatted to to bring you down, to cause you to need more, and to give you just a little bit of a high, just for a second enough that you you remember that part rather than the the sadness and the emotional despair that you feel when you're coming off of a hangover. And so it adds to, chemically adds to depression, but also there's, there's always a story that we've told ourselves that we want to believe um, when we drink that says that we are made better by alcohol, that it's helping us in some way, that it makes us um, smarter, sexier, cooler, easier to talk to, whatever it is. And if you believe it, it's kind of relaxing. It's that kind of, oh, relax. And and it's, it's, that's only for a moment, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yes. And if you, if you, for a second believe, I just want everyone to hear this, that if you, for a second believe that you cannot be those things without alcohol, I want you to know that you can, you can absolutely be funny and sexy and charming and socially stimulating to other people. It just takes practice and you haven't had the time to practice. So of course it seems intimidating to do all of that without alcohol. Yeah. And it's all culturally as well. It's, it's, you know, it's all around us in society that we are meant to drink. That's what life looks. I mean, if I, you know, I'm probably a bit more aware of my drinking over the last kind of year or so. And I'm so, I've become so much aware of how much on every TV program, everybody looks relaxed having a drink. And that can't be real life. No, 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 no. And you rarely see the really destructive and not even not even like abusive or anything like that level, you rarely see the part where people are left with just this cloud of mediocrity, I guess, is the feeling that you feel the next day, this cloud of just not being operating at full capacity. You don't see that portrayed to you in the movies. So then of course, when you feel it, you think it's abnormal and you don't want to talk about it, even though most of the people around you are experiencing that. They just don't want to talk about it because then it also makes alcohol seem bad and you don't want something that you perceive that you need to be bad. Yeah. So it's glamorized effectively. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we can ignore at the moment that as we record this podcast, um, we are going through our first global pandemic with COVID-19, which means that at the moment we are all experiencing really high levels of stress where you know lots of our jobs are at risk are we're worried about our health our loved ones and this is a really new situation and, and while this is a new situation kind of stress happens in our life and um and it's always going to be a part of our lives and alcohol is often people's go-to we hear people saying it's wine o'clock or I need some mummy juice or I need a drink. You know, we often have programmed ourselves to relieve stress with alcohol. And I think we can lose confidence in our abilities to cope with stress without or out alcohol. So I was wondering how you coach people to manage stress difficult differently, because if you've always used alcohol, that's been your go-to. This is a tough time, isn't it? 
Oh, it absolutely is. It's so difficult because you know, the paradigm that's happening in everyone's life right now is that we are isolated physically from people. And we also have, many of us have more time on our hands or more stressors coming at us. So if we don't have more time, it's probably because we're surrounded by family without a foreseeable escape, right? So when that happens, our, our body sometimes goes into I guess boredom is the best. And most people have, I've heard this many times already that I feel bored. I don't know what to do with myself. What else am I supposed to do besides drink right now? Mm -hmm. And what is under that is that we've never been taught to handle boredom. And that boredom also allows our subconscious to start um, kind of churning away at some of the thoughts that we've been avoiding by over busying ourselves with social obligation, over busying ourselves with work or with things to do. So now all of those things off the table, we have this really unique opportunity for our mind to start to bring forth the things which we've been avoiding. And that is what is so uncomfortable for people right now because there's no foreseeable escape. So of course, the common sense thing, the intuitive thing that we might think to do is to drink because that shuts it out. It makes, it kind of collapses the time continuum in our head, you know, as it were, and it makes us feel comfortable. It gives, takes the edge off for a second. But I just have to reiterate that there is nothing worse than pouring a depressant into an already fairly depressing situation. I don't think that anyone, you know, is really looking at this and thinking, oh my gosh, it's so awesome that my job's on the line and I'm locked in my house and I can't go out at all. Even those of us who are very emotionally resilient have to see the depressing factor of what's happening happening right now. And it's insane to bring in a depressant as your like coping mechanism. So you know, what I really recommend for people who are, are in the thick of it right now is first of all, to acknowledge how long it's, you know, what a, I guess what a deficit you are at when it comes to coping with your emotions and just to be gentle with yourself, because the reality is most of our parents unwittingly, they did not do this on purpose, taught us to deal with our emotions in unproductive ways. Perhaps they offered self-medication with food or TV. Perhaps they told us to shove the emotion down that big girls or big boys didn't have these types of negative emotions, or perhaps they tried to distract us with humor. It is a very rare occasion where a parent might have taught us to sit down and say, honey, where are you feeling that feeling right now? Where does it, where does it ache or where is it tense in your body? And let's name that feeling. Let's call it anger. If it's anger, if let's call it fear, let's call it sadness. And let's go even beyond that and name, name the feeling as most specifically as possible. And let's breathe through that and feel the feeling. And it's okay to feel the feeling and it's okay to cry. I can't think of a person that I know who was probably given that experience. So we are all dealt, dealt kind of a shorthand when it comes to processing emotions and we just need to be gentle with ourselves first of all, but also be willing to be brave enough to start to feel them and process them. Because if we don't process them and let them out, they're only going to keep building up and we'll have a huger, uh, you know, we'll have a larger weight to carry in the end. When the other option is if we took this time to let those emotions come up and come to the surface and come out, we could leave this situation so much lighter if we would just use the time wisely. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, that sounds like the kind of stuff that you'd want somebody to know who, um, who felt that drinking was helping them with, with stress that, you know, they need to recognize and, and learn how to emotionally regulate effectively, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Emotional regulation is the key yeah. to learning to get through some of these situations. 
And if somebody's listening to this that's starting to become aware that they are grey area drinking and in habits that they might want to start considering to change, where do you start? Where do you go next? Well, the first place that I think that you need to start is just to say this doesn't have to be forever, but I'm willing to be curious enough to explore this. And you know, at the end, I think that we'll probably talk about some things that I'm offering that are great options to work through, but there are many options out there. You have to work with someone who resonates with you. And the things that I recommend are, first of all, find someone to guide you. This is a really tricky process and you do not have to be addicted or have a problem with alcohol for it to be a problem in your life. And when something is a problem, inevitably it comes with a ton of blind spots and you are doing yourself a great service. If you can find someone to help you identify those blind spots and give you a shortcut past them and, and a coach, a mentor, someone who can help you do that is going to be your greatest gift. Because if not, what will happen is you'll get stuck in the thick of it and you'll think this isn't working screw it. I'm just going back to drinking. But if someone can just guide you over that, show you that it's normal, tell you that it's normal, offer you some hope and perspective and some, some different ways to look at the picture, then you can get over the hump. And that is something that most people aren't, aren't able to navigate on their own. You really need a tour guide. Yeah. Cause you're, you're effectively unraveling and unpicking kind of how we've been brought up from childhood into adulthood it's many many years of programming and socially programming and culturally and within our families it's a lot to kind of retrain our minds to think about and do things differently and I think the rewards that you've mentioned you know are absolutely fantastic but you've got a lot to kind of go through to get there haven't you Oh, absolutely. And I always remind my clients who are really, you know, I have a client group right now who's going through 90 days and they're coming up, they've just come up on their 90 days. And several of them have expressed that they, they wonder when they'll experience some of these shifts. They've experienced some of them, but not all of them. And I said, listen, here's what you have to recognize. When was the first time you ever heard about alcohol or cognitively recognize that it exists? And for most of us, it's childhood. So I want you to put a flag there and say, okay, So now I have, you know, for me, I'm in my early thirties. I have 25 or so years of psychological reprogramming that I need to do because it was from that very pinpoint that I started receiving and acknowledging messages about alcohol and what it did for you and what it meant to drink. And those messages go through childhood. They go through commercials, through people that you love and respect through television shows, you know, there are so many ways you receive this message and have it reinforced. And then you have the physical relationship. So then you have to pinpoint when was the first time you had a drink? Why did you drink it? What did it do for you? What did you believe in that moment that was adding to your life? And then for me, that would be, you know, a decade of physical conditioning with a substance that's known to be and formulated to be addictive. So how could a sane person knowing that I have two decades of psychological experience and a decade of physical experience with a substance think that 90 days might be enough to completely just reprogram that. Um, that, that's a little, a little hopeful, I think. Yeah. That makes an awful lot of sense, but it can be done. It just isn't instantaneous. It's not instant gratification. It doesn't happen after 30 days or after really in any timeline, but it does happen if you do consistent work and commit to it. 
yeah keeping really focused and I think that's really useful to people to kind of realize because I think people can be hard on themselves can't they or worry have I got a problem but you know and if they kind of stop just for a couple of weeks but if it, when you take into account all that programming and conditioning it's understandable and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or that you've got a problem it just it's kind of your experience is playing out yes absolutely to reprogram so you offer lots of fantastic support for people wanting to make changes with their drinking can you talk us through your programs and the support you offer people yes absolutely so i offer um, I offer some kind of low entry programs. I offer, first of all, a 30 day program and it's just a kind of an exploratory dipping your toe in the pond of being alcohol free. But I'm always very clear that 30 days is not enough to transition or shift your relationship with alcohol. Yeah. So I offer a 30 day program um, called the 30 day alcohol free challenge. And then I also offer a additional 60 day program that always butts right back up to the 30 day challenge called alcohol freedom. And that's really my flagship program that is for anyone who wants to really find true freedom from alcohol. And that doesn't mean that you don't think you're ever going to drink again, but it, it means that you want to get to the point where you don't care if you do or not. And that's what we work to get to in alcohol freedom. And it's a group coaching program um, where it is, um, you do have to do an application. So we make sure that you're serious and that you'll be a contributing part of the community yeah. because I really strive to have community support within the women that are there, accountability, and really just learning and reprogramming of what alcohol means in your life. And then of course I do private one-on-one -on -one coaching for anyone who that doesn't work for schedule wise. Um, or maybe they're wanting to get started off of a different timeline. Yeah, that's really useful. And the, the programs, there's any, is it about 10 people in your programs at any one time? Or does that vary? Yes. So for the group coaching program, I do cap it at 10 because that allows me to give enough personalized attention yeah. to everyone who needs it. And it creates a sense of community, but also not a sense of overwhelm. Yes, I thought I thought that was a really, you know, because sometimes when you hear about these programs, there can be many people in them. But I thought that's a lovely number that you can work through this with other people, because often it's the minds of other people and how people can struggle in similar ways that can be really so powerful, can't, can't it? So. Yes, absolutely. And I really just want to take the you know, people who, who profit from, and I don't mean like monetarily profit, but who benefit from AA, that is, I, I think that's such a wonderful program for them, but I want to take the anonymity out of this process because that is what, that is what it made it so difficult for someone like me to make this decision is because it has been made so, so shameful and anonymous as though we have to hide if we want to quit drinking. And that's not true. So I wanted to have this open sense of community with like-minded women who are all, very successful, high achieving, really doing something in their lives, but know that alcohol is holding them back. And I've just really loved the community that it offers um, the women in this support for just seeing other people who are out there who are like them. Yeah, because it gives you that sense, like you said initially, that it's you want to start changing. It's curiosity, which is important. Kind of getting curious that there's another way, there's another way to live your life and still be very successful and high achieving. And yes what's more powerful than being with a load of other people that are in exactly the same situation with your views and your outlook. Definitely. No, I, everyone who is, who goes through these programs does find it so helpful just to have that, the peer support. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's a question that I ask for everybody that comes on the podcast about if you if you could have a conversation with your 15 year old self, what would you say to her? What would you want your younger self to know if you could go back in time? Oh, goodness. This is such <laughs> I know that so many people would go back and try to change their selves and say, don't do that. And I think that what I would tell my 15 year old self is, listen, you're about to go through some things that are going to be really hard and you are exactly where you need to be and you can do it. And everything that you go through is going to be the platform upon which you build your entire life. Because I would not go back and change a second of all of the things I put myself through as a drinker and as an immature young woman, because those are all of the things that give me the social currency now to stand up and teach what I teach. Had I not had those experiences, I couldn't stand up confidently and, and tell you what it was like and how I got through it and how I got out of it. So while it was kind of crummy, I needed all of those things to happen to me to be where I am right now. So it's made you who you are. That's lovely. Yes. And how can people find out more about what you do, your programs, and if people want to follow you, what are the best platforms? And I'll put a link to everything in the show notes, but it's just useful to kind of go through. Yes, thank you. Sure. Um, So my website is authenticallyamanda.com, and you can find a ton of free resources. I have a pretty prolific blog there, and then my services where you could learn more about those programs or one-on-one coaching And I also do free consultative calls to anyone who is looking to learn a little bit more about if working with me would be a good fit. And then I mostly hang out on Instagram. So I'm at authentically Amanda on Instagram and that's where you can find me most days. And I just try to share inspirational and educational content about um, my changing my relationship with alcohol and other people who have done the same. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, you have a lovely Instagram feed. I've really enjoyed it. I enjoy your stories and your lovely little dog as well. So oh, he's, he's sitting right in my lap right now. This is his podcast position, so he can behave himself. Oh. oh, so we've got a third guest on the podcast. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I think that's going to be so useful to so many people. It's been really valuable. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I really enjoyed my time talking to you today. Brilliant. Thank you.